0: Morning, New life, cool and gadda. So excited to be here this morning. Um, first service, my mic didn't turn on because I forgot to turn it on. So I'm really glad that we started stronger already. It's exciting. Um, hey, if you have your Bibles today, how about you go ahead and just start strong by opening them up? We're going to be going to Genesis chapter 22 um, and starting in verse 1, so that should not be too hard. To find. But hey, as you do that, if you haven't met me, my name is David Scambria. I get the joy of being on team here, uh, and it is actually one of my favorite things, one of the greatest blessings in my life to both serve this community and be a part of it. So uh, yeah, just pumped to be here sharing the word. We're currently in a series about the book of Genesis. Now, we started this series last year, and we opened up by going from Genesis chapter 1 to chapter 11. Quick recap, God is good. And he created all the world in Genesis chapter 1. And he created the whole world as good and beautiful and wonderful as a good God can. And then he created people. And to those people, he invited them to partner with him, to be in relationship with him. And for a while they did. And then one day they followed that inclination that so many of us unfortunately relate to to tell God, No, I want control. I don't want you, I want the power. I don't trust you anymore. I want the power. An inclination that I think as a people we could probably relate to pretty well. The following uh, eight chapters, we just see the carnage the wrath, the destruction, the punishment, the judgment, the brokenness, and the pain that follows a people who break up with God, (laughs) who break up partnership with God. So we opened this series uh, starting in Genesis chapter 12, and, and we noticed that the whole tone seems to have changed where before it was the journey, the the story of God and all humanity and their rejection of partnership with him. Suddenly we're seeing a different story, a story of God chasing partnership with one family, with one man in his family, Abraham. We see he comes to Abraham and says, hey, Abraham, will you partner with me? Will you go on a journey with me? And Abraham says yes and almost immediately stuffs it up. But he tumbles and struggles on. On towards godliness. And we see God respond to this with this promise of blessing that as Abraham presses on in loving and relationship and partnership with God, God said, I am blessing you, your family, and the whole world through you. And there was one thing Abraham wanted more than anything else, and it was a son. And it was through this son and by means of this son that God said, it is him through whom I will bless the whole world. And then decades pass and nothing changes. Nothing shifts and nothing happens. Abraham stuffs it, tries to take it into his own hands, repents, does it again. Like he, he is, like any of us, stumbling forward in partnership with God. And then in Genesis chapter 21, the son is born. The miracle son of Abraham, Isaac. Isaac. And it's a beautiful story, celebration, rejoicing. If it was a Disney movie, the credits would pop up and they all lived happily ever after, except it's reality, not Disney. And so it's a chapter 22, unfortunately. Let's read it, 22 verse one. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him. Whoa. This got heavy. Sacrifice him. There is a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and he loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance, and he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering. He placed it on his son, Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up, and he said to his father, Abraham, Father, his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him, The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear, dang, I wrote it wrong, declares the Lord that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through their offspring, all the nations on the earth will be blessed because you have O. Oh, bade me what a story that's not one of the easy parts of the bible that's not ephesians you know this is a hard chunk of scripture let's pray let's invite god to help us understand this properly Lord, we thank you that you're already in this room, you're already at work, and you have a purpose and a plan for this morning, God. We thank you that you are passionate for your people. You are passionate for your children in this room. You're a good God, and when you created all things good, though it was stuffed up, you continue to bring us back to goodness. We can count on you this morning, God, as a God bringing us in this room back to you and back to goodness. And we can be excited and confident that you, Lord, are at work to do something amazing in our hearts. Lord, I pray you'd stir faith. I pray you'd keep this word true. And I pray you'd reveal your wonder through this story. May we leave this place singing your praises, God. Jesus, we pray this by the power of your blood and the love you have for us. Amen. You know those moments when the penny drops and you suddenly realize what an absolute mess you're in? You know, like you're doing life, it's going well, and then suddenly you just, you hit a wall, and you're like, oh, I have stuffed up. I'm in a bad situation. Last year, a few of my close friends decided that they wanted to go on a hike, and I said, yay, let's go. And so, me being me, I didn't ask any questions, I was just like, sweet, it's a hike, how hard can it be? You walk one step after the other, onwards and upwards, great. We get to the hike, we start going. It's going great. We jump to river, you know, we're running over things, it's going fantastic. And then halfway through the hike, I make the worst mistake I've probably made in my entire life so far. (laughs) I looked down. And... Suddenly I realized that somehow I had climbed like a vertical, gravelly mountainside, foot, like step after step after step, and not even really noticed, and then I did. Frozen with fear, my loving friends egged me on, come on, you can do it, don't be a wimp, up you go, one step after the other, and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna, this is it. But sure enough, I started walking, slowly at first, but they're more confident. In fact, I got so confident that I followed the Muppet of our group into a really awkward situation where he confidently ducked out of, and by the time I had realized that we shouldn't have gone that way, I was royally stuck. And I looked down again. And I realized that I was about to die. (laughs) That I was hanging onto the side of a mountain And it was over. And it was in that moment that I suddenly realized that I'm dramatic. No, that I suddenly realized that... Yeah, come on. It was in that moment though that I suddenly realized the only reason I was in this situation facing my death was because I was so afraid of failing to impress my friends when they egged me on that I kept going even when I wasn't comfortable. How crazy is the power of the fear of failure, right? Like, I mean, come on, all you perfect people, I get it. Maybe you guys don't fail. Is it just me? Like, failing sucks, right? Anyone else like failing? You guys, David, we love failing. No, it's just you. No, we, we hate failing. And I think this is the reason we hate tests. Nobody hates a test they're going to ace. We love tests that we're going to get an A plus on, right? We, we show off, we gloat, we come there early, and we rejoicing the whole way if we know we're going to pass it with flying colors. The test we hate, are the ones who are afraid of failing. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Now we imagine for a minute that God entered the room and said, My church, today I'm going to test you. I don't think I would be rejoicing thinking I'm going to ace that test. Ho <laughs> ho there would be a lot of fear. Because when you stand me next to God, I never pass the test. When you stand me on my own two legs and say, go be righteous, go and strive, clench your knuckles to that white and be strong enough, I never win. I never succeed. And so afraid of failing, the idea of God testing me terrifies me. I ask, why would a loving God want to test me? Is he looking for an opportunity to cut me down, to tear the legs out from under me, to kick me out of his presence? Is he looking for any moment to squash me? Why would God test me? Isn't life hard enough? And like most of Genesis, we find that the nuance of the story, the way it was written, is really, really, really intentional. There's a phrase that comes up over and over through this story. And the point of the phrase is to reveal something about who God is and something about how we partner with God. It's a weird phrase, but it says this, your son, your only son. It says it at the beginning with the challenge. It says it in the middle when he passes the challenge. And it says it at the end when he makes a promise as a result of the challenge. So let's jump straight in. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Your son, your only son, it says. And what shall we do with it? Take. Abraham was commanded to take this son. Now, if you don't know the context of Genesis, uh, essentially in chapter 21, Isaac was born at the beginning. And the very next story, we see this moment where God begins to unwind an absolute screw up that Abraham had done. You see, earlier in the story and a phenomenal uh, sermon preached by Scott a few weeks ago, um, we see that Abraham had tried to fulfill the promise of God on his Oh, no, I don't know about you guys, but I've tried this myself and I've never yet succeeded. And so Abraham, as you can imagine, suffered and pain followed. He was promised a son. So he went and tried to have that son with someone whom he wasn't promised to have it with, with someone that wasn't his wife. As a result, there was a whole story where pain and abuse and suffering followed. And in Genesis 21, God concludes that story. And you see Abraham like this. And God says, would you unclench your fist? Would you trust me? Would you lay down your plan B? A question I think God continues to ask his people today. Would you lay down your plan B? And Abraham does this. Okay, I'll pry open my hands a finger at a time and I will trust you to take Ishmael and Hagar and love them and look after them as you promise you will. So when it says in here, take your son, your only son. For Abraham, there is no truer truth than this is his only son. His his only opportunity for a son. His plan B is gone. Um, His wife is far beyond uh, the age that you would bear children. Uh, And not only that, she's still barren. The only reason he has Isaac is because God did a miracle and brought him Isaac. Because God kept a promise that he promised. And so how does Abraham respond when God says, take this son and lay him down before me? In verse 10, we see that Abraham does exactly what God says. He reaches out his hand, he takes the knife to slay his son. It may be hard for us in this room to really grasp how big and difficult this moment would have been for Abraham. I've often read this story, and Abraham has kind of been like a a mannequin or a robot or or like a machine. Like, he's never been human for me. He's always just been someone obeying God because, you know, he's in the Bible. And so, of course, he's going to do the right thing or he's going to do the thing God says him to. But we really don't see until we look at the Scriptures slowly how absolutely horrid this might have been for Abraham. In 6 to 7, it says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son Isaac. Think this through. That means his son Isaac was carrying firewood. Firewood is heavy. Babies can't carry firewood. Um, I assume. I've never had one and tried to make them. But I assume they can't carry firewood. And so, they can't. Okay, Scott tried. And so, like, it's not a thing. (laughs) Um, This wasn't a baby. In fact, it goes on and says this. Um, Isaac spoke to his father Abraham. Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, he said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Or, in other words, not only could he speak, but he could make sense. Most scholars think he was probably in his early teens. Abraham had maybe 13 or 14 years of relationship, laughter, joy, love for his son. This was not Abraham going. Yep, yeah, sure, it's only a son. Sweet. Nah. No. In fact, even God says it in Genesis twenty-two. Too, he says, God said, "Take your son, your only son, whom you love." What a moment. What a what a hard, hard moment. In the chapter before, right at the end, the third story in that chapter, we have Isaac is born, God wraps up the brokenness of Ishmael and Hagar, and uh, the final story, we see God reveal how blessed Abraham was with worldly things. Um, so essentially, God had made a bunch of promises to Abraham, and he had fulfilled all of them. And we see Abraham is so successful, so influential even, that a local king actually panders to him. You know, the king's like, hey, could you leave my people alone? And Abraham's like, Sure. You leave my well alone. And the king literally goes, okay. Like, that is power. Like, that is, that is effect. That is influence. Abraham was immensely blessed in his day, rivaling kings. And he had everything he wanted, even the capstone of blessings that he had wanted his whole life, which was a son, an heir, a guarantee that his legacy would be continued. This was no easy moment. This was no small moment, this was hard and horrible. And God steps in and he says this, now, Abraham, that you have everything you've ever wanted, everything you could ever need, your life is thoroughly secure and certain. Will you still partner with me? Or is there nothing more this vending machine can give you. Will you still partner with me? And I think this is an incredibly, incredibly uh, alive call for our church here today. Having received so many blessings as a community, will we still partner with God? We live very comfortable, though not always easy, though very hard lives at times. We still live very comfortably when you compare us to most of the world Most of us have a reasonable level of health, a reasonable level of prosperity, a reasonable level of promotion and applause. Like we live wholesome, gifted lives. And God, I believe, steps into this church, into this community, and he says, now that you have everything, now that you have so much, New Life, Cool, and Gather, will we still partner with God? Would we take our son, our only son, fill in the blank. Would we take our security, our only finances? Would we take our promotion, our applause, our popularity, our only sense of success and lay it before God? Would we take our lives, our times, our giftings, our only life and would we lay it before God in sacrifice and submission? And perhaps in this room, our answer is, well, that story you just told me? I'm not sure if he's the kind of God I can trust if he's going to test in such difficult ways. And I'm going to be honest, that would actually relate to kind of where my answer was three or four weeks ago when I started studying this. Like, why would God, what kind of God would do this? And so we see in verse 11 where the story begins to pivot. It says, "'But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven.'" Abraham, Abraham, here I am. Abraham replies, do not lay a hand on that boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. Because you have not withheld from me, and here's the phrase again your son, your only son. That second use of the phrase is no longer now take, it's you have not withheld. He steps in after a difficult moment and celebrates having intervened. He celebrates that he did not withhold, but rather released. And it all pivots on this weird, strange phrase that says, Fear God. Essentially, the whole test that Abraham was going through was asking this question, do you fear me? Now, I also have struggled with this phrase, so I went to a smarter man than me, and I Googled what could possibly be the answer, and and I saw John Piper said this, fearing God is corresponding, and the context was, was corresponding in the Bible, with humility, lowliness, and sensitivity of heart. You see it in Proverbs a lot. You'll see the idea of fear of God contrasted to hardness of heart. In other words, to fear God is to sit before him in the gentle softness of our hearts and just let him be himself. Yes, great and majestic in power, but also wonderful in his character. To fear God is to say, yes, you're great and mighty and I I see that power and it's kind of scary. But it's also to see who he says he is and say, I see that declaration and I will trust it. To fear God is to say, if you call yourself loving, then you must be loving. To fear God is to say, if God says he will forgive, then he will forgive. To fear God says that if he says he is king, then he must be a king. To fear God is to say that if he says he is alive in new life, cooling gather, today doing something in our midst, then we choose to believe that our God is alive in our midst today doing something. That's what it looks like to fear God. And when we read this, we, we, we suddenly realize that when, Abraham, when it says Abraham feared God, it was saying not only he saw he was great and was terrified and had to do it, it's saying that he knew the character of God and trusted it. Hebrews eleven seventeen 17 to 19 offers a commentary on this section. It offers uh, an insight into what was happening in Abraham's heart as this story unfolded. It says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises, and these promises, I want to add, were promises God made to Abraham about Isaac using Isaac's name. He embraced these promises and yet was about to sacrifice his one and only son. See that phrase kind of repeated again. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even Raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. Abraham never went up that mountain expecting to leave without Isaac. He never went up that mountain thinking he would leave that mountain without Isaac. Genesis 22, three to five. Early the next morning, Abraham got up. He loaded his donkey. He took two servants and his son. He cut some wood uh, for the offering, set out for a place God had told him about. On the third day, he looked up. He saw the place. He says to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham would never went up that mountain expecting to come back without Isaac. Genesis 22, 7 8, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering my son. And so the two of them went on together. Even then, Abraham was certain that God would intervene. There was never a moment that Abraham thought he was leaving that uh, that mountain without Isaac. Why? Because Abraham feared God. He knew how great his God was. He knew the character of his God. He knew how God defined himself and then knew that if God defined himself a certain way, it was true no matter what the world looked like. If God said, I am good, just, and faithful, then that is true no matter what our circumstance says. If God says that he will provide and he has made a promise, then that promise stands and God continues to provide no matter what the world looks like. This is the guarantee that Abraham was so confident. And what we see here is that the tests God asks is never, are you good enough? The tests God asks is, will you trust me? Will you trust me? That is what a test from God is asking. Do you know who I am yet? This is what a test of the Bible from God looks like. The whole Bible, you will never find a white-knuckle test. You will never find a test where God says, just clench your fists, try real hard, make that constipated face just enough, and press on, and you will be good enough. It just doesn't happen. The story of the Bible continues to be not that we are self-sufficient, but that he is fully sufficient. The story of the Bible is that God is enough. Would you trust that, no matter what circumstances look like? When we asked the question before, you know, would we partner with God? And if we answered, well, no, I don't know how to partner with a God that did that, that, that would off tell us to sacrifice our child or whatnot, how could I partner with that God? Then what we're doing is, is we're defining our God by the circumstance we're in. We're defining our God by the test we face. But Abraham had a different approach. He said, I will not test. I will not define my God by the tests of faith. I will define the tests by the God I know. Friends, that is the call of the Bible. Will you define your circumstance by the God you know? Or will you let your circumstance define God? He knew his God was not a liar. He knew his God didn't break promises. He knew that his God was faithful and abounding in love. He knew that in Exodus 35, 5-7 um, to, five to seven even, that, that where it says, uh, I am the Lord your God, Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord your God. I am compassionate. I am merciful. I am slow to anger. I abound in love and faithfulness. You know, he knew this God personally for relationship. He knew the God who, in you know, 1 John, it says that God is love. And he knew that God, the First Corinthians 13, 4-8 God, whose God is patient, love is patient, God is patient, God is kind, God does not anger. God is not easily angered, he is not irritable, he bears all things, believes all things, endures all things, God, or love never fails. We know that Abraham knew that God, and not some weird God some guy had told him on Facebook, not some weird God that he picked up from his bad family habits or hurt relationships or own inward brokenness. You see, when we see God put us to the test, he's simply asking if we'd be the kind of people who lets him pass it. And that means when he puts us to the test, really, he's only ever putting himself to the test and saying, will you be faithful and watch how I resolve this? And that is the invitation he faces. Cory Ten Boom says, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. And so the story goes on. It tells us that a ram was caught in a thicket, which is just, I had to Google it, I didn't know what thicket was. It, go, it was caught in a thicket, which is just for all you other people who aren't gardeners. A thicket is a collection of trees that are really tight together. And this ram had gotten his horn stuck in them. And as the band comes up, he went on to provide this ram as a, uh, as a replacement for Isaac. He says again, because you have not withheld your son, your only son, a third time, he's using it again, you will see the blessings I promised you and your people. They will happen, and they are guaranteed. Because you have trusted I am who I am, then I will continue to be who I am, and you will continue to see me be who I am. It's a strange way to word it, but God is forever yahweh He is forever being true to himself. He is forever faithful to his own character and who he is. And yet for us today, we don't lean on a ram caught in a thicket for our hope. We have the lamb of God hung up on a tree. He created Jesus as savior who makes a way where we never can pass the fail or pass test and makes a way in that test So that our testing only needs to be formative. So our testing only reveals the promise. So that our testing only shows us how good God is. And so as we walk, we are confident that He did not withhold from us His Son. And that is our celebration. And because He did not withhold from us His Son, His only Son, We can know a God personally and intimately who wants nothing more than relationship with each of us and says, friends, will you partner with me again? Will you take your thing, your only thing, whatever it is, whatever security, whatever hope, whatever idol, whatever lifeline you are building up on, will you take that? My friends, will you take that? And will you trust me with it? Will you be like Abraham and say, I will not withhold that plan B. I will not withhold that sense of security. I will not withhold that worldly accomplishment, but I will let God be my salvation and my hope, my freedom, my formation, and my future. Because today, my friends, we no longer need to judge our circumstances. We no longer, sorry, need to judge our God by what we face that broken body, that hurt wound, that heartache, that past abuse, that financial difficulty, that coming storm. We don't judge our God by that anymore. We judge that by our God and say, he is good. He is faithful. He is love, He is patient. He is kind. He is present and he never leaves us and he never forsakes us. Will we take the crutch that can never be more than a crutch and choose to walk? So perhaps in this room, we're responding to this, and you're like me, who sees this situation and says, God, I'm terrified of tests from you because I'm terrified of failing you. Perhaps in this room, you're more the apathetic type who says, God, I know you're filled with grace, so I'll do what I want, and when you test, I know we're good, so it's okay, I won't even try. Perhaps in this room, you're the person who steps up and says, I try and I try, but I feel like I fail and I fail and I don't know how to not withhold. I don't know how to take my brokenness and release it to God. Or maybe you're in this room and you don't even know who this God, this Jesus, this loving creator, father, and good, good, good savior is. I'm gonna invite all of us to respond in the same way in just a moment. I'm gonna invite us as we are able, as many of us are as able, to come before God on our knees. I'll pray very briefly, and then I will sit in silence as the band plays over us, and I invite us to bring that space to God, and say, God, the only answer to all of those, to all of those situations, to all of the ways of approaching this story, the only answer is to know more of God, No more of His goodness, No more of His love, and we wanna lift that up. What if this moment is a test? What if this is the moment where God says, would you release and would you let me be God? And like Abraham, we can say, I will not withhold my pride. I will not withhold my dignity. I will not withhold in this moment, but I will lean in and I will press in and I will seek the Savior who is good and faithful. As you are able, let's do that now. you're in this room and you're unable to go to your knees just try raising your hands out in front of you it's a heart posture not a body posture we're leaning into god let's pray father we thank you that you're in this room we thank you that you're that good that you would be in this room that every one of us test failures. Every one of us failed to pass the test. And we need the Jesus who stood the test and survived the test, stood in our place and brings back the success to us. We need to know the God who is faithful and loving and kind. We need to know you as Savior and our Father. And as we sit for just a few moments, we pray you would reveal something of yourself as we earnestly... Chase after it.